0: Hello and welcome to the 13th series of the DNV Talks Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Matthias Steck. During this series, we'll be exploring some of the key insights from DNV's energy transition outlook, our annual independent model of the world's energy system, and what they mean for the future of our planet. Across this series, with the help of leading industry guests, we'll shed light on what's happening right now and the forecast as we move forwards. We'll explore topics from the geopolitical developments affecting the energy transition to what's needed from technology, finance and policy in delivering net zero. Crucially, we ask, how do we move from ambition to urgent action over climate change? I'm delighted to be joined today by Mauricio Riveros, Associate Director at the Carbon Trust. In this episode, we focus on the global carbon emissions and how these have not reduced at the rate needed in order to align with net zero. Along with my guests, we will discuss the reasons behind this and what needs to be done to turn this around. We'll also explore how a detailed understanding of the world's major emission sources and any changes to this overall picture can help prioritize choices now over clean energy, decarbonization and energy efficiency. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the DNV Talks Energy Podcast, Mauricio. It's a pleasure having you here.
1: Thank you very much. The pleasure is mine. Absolutely delighted
0: to be here. So for the benefit of our listeners, could you give us some background about yourself and your role at Carbon Trust?
1: Yeah, sure. With pleasure. Well, I'm an Associate Director within the Energy Transition Team at the Carbon Trust. In the Energy Transition Team, we focus in all challenges related to energy transition across heat, transport and electricity. And we have four main focus areas, which are basically renewable integration then networks and flexibility, core retirement, and clean hydrogen. Our team, because we are part of the Carbon Trust, is focused on uh, the decarbonisation. I don't know how much you know about the Carbon Trust, but to summarize, basically, we are a mission-driven organization with a focus on accelerating the decarbonization of the economy. We are considered an expert guide for reaching net zero, building in our 20 years of experience decarbonizing different types of sectors, and we are a global organization with more than 400 experts internationally.
0: So it's overall understood that climate change is a real threat, and we have defined, or countries have defined, a lot of... Contributions and targets they want to meet at certain times down the line, so in 2030 or 2050. But we are very much behind of these targets. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, <laughs> indeed, first of all, it's absolutely well understood and for sure a big driver for the energy transition is definitely the climate change and the increasing commitment to decrease emissions. And I would say we have made us as a humankind a big step forward in terms of understanding this as a common threat, in terms of putting in place different frameworks for collaboration and setting different targets and making different levels of progress in, in several places. However, indeed, as you say, there's still a big challenge in to reach, really, net zero. And why this is happening, I would say, first of all, there's a lack of understanding of what is net zero. When you speak several times with actually corporates or companies, depending, depending on the site, actually, they have several understanding between what and confusion between net zero and for example carbon neutrality so i guess that's a kind of a first thing secondly also of course there are different challenges related to to reaching net zero Um, and the main one is that to, to reach net zero you you need to take a systemic approach and because a systemic approach is needed there are different interests involved and although there are clear commitments it's not easy to put all the interest in place to really reach to those commitments. Then on top of that, you have some storms happening, crisis like the current war in Ukraine, for example, and as well the economical situation after the pandemic, right? So all of that uh, make the, the things more complex. But we are better, of course, than a few years ago, but still there's a long way of progress to make if we really want to reach a net zero. And lastly, I would say also probably there's a lack of plans as well. So first of all, lack of understanding of what is net zero and lack of plans of how reaching net zero. <laughs> Therefore, you can have those targets, but then the question is how you really reach them. So it's defining the the,
0: the pathway and then be able to, to go through it. So part of the plan is identifying the problem, and we currently are heading towards a 2.2 degree warming, massive early action to record emissions is critical, and the window, as you also just alluded to, is actually closing. The window to act. Uh, can you clarify what and where the world's major emission sources are?
1: Yeah, with pleasure. You can see several references with that diverse sources, but all we'll conclude pretty much on the same type of uh, figures. That first of all, the energy is the major sources of emission. For example, more than seventy-four percent, if I'm not wrong, in the world energy data. And of these seventy-four percent, actually about also 70-something percent is for heat transport and electricity. And then the other 20-something percent is in industry. But in general, more than 70% of total emissions are in the energy sector. Therefore, the energy transition is absolutely key because it's in the bedrock for reaching net zero because it's not just to do the net zero for the energy system, let's say, but across the whole economy in several industrial processes, if not most of them, uh, if not all of them, sorry, the energy is there and therefore the transition across the whole uh, vectors is fundamentally if we want really to decrease the emissions. So my response is absolutely the energy sector is the key <laughs> to tackle.
0: And in your opinion, are the primary contributors to this emission problem are doing enough about this already? Well, first of all, which are the primary contributors? Uh, coal, right? Oil and gas.
1: I think in coal, it was a big milestone what was achieved in the last COP to at least finally having an overall agreement in trying to phasing down quicker as possible coal and in some cases phasing up, setting different years for actually reaching the total phasing out. But uh, the, the commitment of basically doing that on coal and also most important user of coal, also making some important announcement of not building new coal power plants is a major milestone. However, there's still a long road to go. And precisely on that, as I mentioned before, in our team, we are focusing in one particular area, in coal retirement. And we have actually developed and implemented what is the Coal Asset Transition Accelerator, which was launched at the last COP, where we're working with several philanthropists and beneficiaries to identify opportunities to accelerate the coal retirement through the implementation of adequate financial mechanism. So this type of practices, I would say, focusing in retiring a particular primary source such as coal, could be a key to do it as well across other uh, primary sources. But being called one of the most, let's say, pollutant one and ma- most impactful, of course, uh, is absolutely fundamental to putting the priority
0: on coal, first of all. So we alluded a bit on differences in maybe energy sources and technologies. When it comes to regions in the race to net zero, uh, different regions have different starting points and, and capabilities, and we see variations globally when it comes to emissions and where countries are on their path to net zero. Who would you say needs to move faster now? Those countries and regions who are leading already in the transition or those who are lacking behind?
1: It's a very complicated question. And I guess kind of having a very objective response is very difficult. But what is important is to really identify, I guess, the differences clearly between the countries that have moved quite fast, I would say, in the energy transition, which are mainly the developed economies, where we have a situation where actually the demand is not increasing massively and is much more stalled. There's a transition of where the demand is because of electrification, right? But the total demand of the energy sector is not increasing, such as in those countries where the economy is developing and the demand is increasing sharply and is expected to increase at even a level of two or three times the current level of demand. Therefore, although those countries that are under development have indeed big uh, responsibility in current emissions, they need as well to take into consideration other aspects and therefore to try to ask, I would say, or or expecting them to do the same pace of transition that those countries that doesn't have an increase of demand is not easy. And also when there's different level of development of the economy and implication in terms of just transition is another aspect. Therefore, I would say that rather than putting a kind of a focusing where pressuring one versus the other, the most important thing is how we can really reach a collaborative spirit. Because actually, at the end, what we aim to have is net zero globally. And if result at at the end that some of those countries are not reaching net zero, but others reaching negative emissions and the global impact, putting aside, of course, the local impact of emission that could have, but the global impact in terms of climate change will not happen. And therefore, the objective of reaching the the target of the price agreement would be achieved. Therefore, I think that the problem of saying who should do the first thing is probably. By doing that, the collaborative spirit can be destroyed. And and I think that's the most important thing.
0: So going deeper on this collaborative spirit you mentioned, how about support for low-income countries where we may see great improvement potential? And if we agree support should be given, in what form should this support be given?
1: Well, that's a very interesting question because... As I said earlier, I think we have made quite a major progress as as humanity understanding the problem. And therefore, several important frameworks in place are already to channel funds, an important level of money to support low income communities and countries where there's more need of accelerating the transition, let's say. However, what is the reality is that probably what is happening is still not sufficient. Actually, I was just two weeks ago in an important international forum on coal to clean transition. Again, I was talking about the focus on coal, for example. And um, I would say the kind of main takeaway I took from that event is, first of all, is that this transition is happening. There's no question that it's happening. And is economically viable, particularly talking about removing uh, coal from generation and replacing for renewable energy. In the electricity sector, let's say, is absolutely doable and realistic. But the question is how quickly it will happen. And something that has been present in in voices from all representatives, from different countries, from both Asia and Africa, is that they believe this needs to happen. They want this to happen, but they need too clear support on what would be basically the replacement of the baseload. And here comes the point about when the demand is increasing. You need to have a credible replacement for the baseload. And of course, today with the situation of gas, even it's more complicated (laughs) to talk about replacing coal. And secondly, this transition need to create local value, I mean value in the local economies. So thinking about local uh, supply chain development to put the just transition angle in the top of the priority in the transition is absolutely fundamental. And all those countries always said we need more support in funds because many times those funds at the end are technical assistance and there's a lot of money available for technical assistance. But then when we talk about actually proper investment support, there's a big lack of of possibility of getting access to those funds.
0: So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, has called for urgent action which has not materialized and emissions remain at record levels. But in order to secure now net zero by 2050, the emissions must fall, they say, by 8%. In the context of what you just described, is that a realistic target?
1: Well, first of all, it's important remember I was saying about understanding what is net zero? Well, we have at the Carbon Trust a net zero business intelligence unit which has defined what we understand by net zero and how we are taking this into consideration to really work with all our clients, to explain it basically clearly what means net zero. And 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 the reality is that this is the scientifically way that has been proved to reach basically the targets of of the paris agreement and scientifically have been demonstrated that to do that there's a need of having decreased the emission by 50 percent before 2030 so in, in the next eight years however to reach that we need of course to have a decrease of the upper year that i have just said and it's not what is happening and the problem is it's not happening and not only that also the the commitments already established by ndc all the ndc together are not aligned with the one point degree target actually the world uh, resource institute has made a study uh, i think this year last year when they they showed how how misalignment they are between the different ndcs right and the 1.5 target therefore then comes my response realistically from the point of view of the technological perspective and the scientific perspective probably it is and i, I firmly believe that and we firmly believe at the government trust that as All the, let's say, technology in the last few years has been competitive, for example, as solar and and wind. And a few years ago, the prices were not possible. And today, the electricity, there's a clear solution it can be available for the transition. We are in the way of doing the same with heat and transport. And all the prices, for example, in terms of electrolyzer, that today are too expensive, can decrease in this timeline if there's sufficient collaboration, innovation. But the science and the technology shouldn't be a problem. What the problem would be in terms of realistic, if it's actually, let's say, the political landscape and the economical situation allow to do it. And at the end, because of course, it's relationship between humans. That's why it's so important, the collaborative spirit and collaborative between all entities at all level. So I would say if it's sufficiently collaborative and sufficiently understood how to do it, taking a of approach, it should be possible to do it. But the problem is that all the models by complex they could be, they will never be able to really replicate the complexity of the reality of the politics, geopolitics, economy, et cetera. So it's rea- realistic depending on from which angle is taken, but, and that's my personal opinion, not because it's so difficult, it's not achievable. We have been possible as human kind to do things much more incredible, maybe that you can believe before doing it, why not this? But of course they will need a lot of collaboration that
0: today is happening, but not sufficiently. So clearly the energy transition is multifaceted and complex, but it also holds a lot of opportunities. Can you elaborate on what these opportunities are and how they play a role in reducing potentially global emissions? Indeed, there's uh, several
1: opportunities. And uh, there are so big amount of opportunities across different areas that I think we could be speaking f- for long. Therefore, what I would say is to just focus in, for example, one case, which is opportunities in the transition on the power sector and talking about actually the experience of, of the work we have done at the Carbon Trust. Let's first put maybe in context this. So for the power sector, the main transition happening is the penetration of renewable energy, particularly variable renewable energy, such as solar and wind, that is because it's viable, it is not flexible and it creates a need of more flexibility within the system. Today, the flexibility is provided by the current conventional generator, mainly fossil fuels, and therefore, what it's a need is to find all the sources of flexibility. What we have worked is particularly focusing in enabling demand side response as a big source of flexibility, and it has been demonstrated that by doing that, there's a massive savings across the whole value chain, particularly in decreasing the total cost of development of the distribution grid, the transmission grid, and better utilization of the renewable energy. But to make possible basically all this big benefit is need new players. And for example, in the case of the power sector, there have been, for example, in the case of the UK, deployment of massive number of aggregators, That means new players, new technologies have been integrated uh, within the system and uh, therefore new companies appearing an opportunity for startups. And here comes also the point about the value chain I was talking before, when the renewable energy is integrated within a system. New markets as well, and new markets, new players, and new technologies, yeah. These are basically the, the three that I was mentioning in the case of power sector. Therefore, the new players aggregate, the new markets, for example, markets for grid services in this transition from DNO to DSO. And the new technologies, any kind of technology related, for example, for energy storage, different types of energy storage in the sector, in the demand service, digitalization of grid, a big opportunity as well for new players and new... Uh, ah, that was the last one I was thinking, I just forgot. Business models new business models. So it's not just innovation and technology, but also innovation and business models. So as you can see, it's, it's a massive opportunity just on the power sector. And actually, identifying that 10 years ago in the UK, and we published a report which uh, identified what would be the savings, depending on the different scenario the carbonization the UK had at that time 10 years ago, the savings in average were in the range of 40 billion pounds if demand-side flexibility was enabled. That was a key evidence that pushed for the deployment of storage and the uh, opening of several grid services markets in the UK. Now we have been working in identifying those opportunities in the globalization of heat and transport and, and also what are the different barriers to overcome and what are the different opportunities.
0: Mauricio, as my final question, I would like to ask you, what are the main drivers to help us with a successful race to net zero? Thank you for the question. Actually, our net zero
1: business intelligence unit have identified five main key conditions that are needed to be complied in order to reach net zero. First of all, it's around awareness. As I was mentioning earlier, it's absolutely important to really make a clear understanding of what's net zero so then all people across all uh, type of stakeholders, governments, corporates, companies, even a civil society organization, understand the same by net zero. Secondly, uh, governance. Uh, There's a a big importance of really having an improved level of accountability in terms of when someone, an organization, said we will do net zero. Okay, it's actually net zero or not. And who will be uh, checking that and how accountable and credible are all those uh, certification of net zero. Thirdly, finance. As I was mentioning earlier, there's probably a lot of opportunities already of finance, mainly focused probably in area where there's more need. However, there's still a big need of finance, and those finance are not linked with net zero. Therefore, how to really channel the funds depending on net zero targets and understanding how this can be done probably is another third big important condition. The fourth is technology and innovation, particularly for the carbonization of heat and transport, uh, heat and cold. Of course, heat depending on the cases of the country. Heat will not be here in Singapore, for example. Here is more cold, <laughs> but technology and innovation and innovation across business models as well. And here comes the opportunity for new players that we are talking about. For example, in the power sector, I mentioned about aggregators and new different business models. And finally, just transition. And maybe here I want to relay and reflect a little bit more about what we were saying before, who we should put the pressure. Rather than putting the pressure, we need to understand all, I will say, that the most important thing is putting as a priority just transition. And therefore, how this transition is happening without affecting the economy and in all places and creating a good life standard and not affecting the working conditions particularly in those places where today still fossil fuels are highly uh, used, is absolutely fundamental. Because if just transition is not in the core of
0: the transition, probably those countries will not
1: do the transition.
0: Mauricio, thank you so much for these really interesting insights. It was a pleasure having you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode, in which Mauricio gave us a sobering assessment of where the world currently stands on the path to net zero. He suggested that the lack of concrete plans mean that a range of leading projects risk falling short of their potential. He also called for a more systemic approach to battling climate change and suggested that when a collaborative spirit is employed, great things can be achieved. Join us next time as we discuss how technological advancements within power grids and electrification could be the secret weapon in fighting climate change. To hear more podcasts in this series, please visit dnv.com/slash/talksenergy.